Welcome to Holistic Ambition, where we talk with visionary leaders who are redefining what it means to be ambitious. We cover ways you can live with more well-being, meaning, and fun in your career, business, and relationships. I'm your host, Stephanie Toma, life coach for ambitious professionals and author of Confident Introvert. Today, we have with us Tiffany Yu. She is the CEO and founder of Diversibility, an award-winning, entirely disabled-run and led social enterprise to elevate disability pride, and a content creator with 170K-plus followers across platforms. She is a three-times TEDx speaker and has been named a TikTok API trailblazer and a LinkedIn top voice in disability advocacy. At the age of nine, Tiffany became disabled as a result of a car accident that also took the life of her father. Tiffany has helped to invest over $160,000 in disability initiatives through the Awesome Foundation Disability Chapter and the Disability Empowerment Endowed Fund at Georgetown University. She previously served on the San Francisco Mayor's Disability Council. She has been featured in Marie Claire, The Guardian, and Forbes. She started her career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs and has also worked in Bloomberg and Sean Diddy Combs, Revolt Media and TV. She earned a bachelor's degree from Georgetown University and a master's degree from the London School of Economics. So, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for us to dive in, Tiffany. And, you know, something that's coming up for me right now is really this powerful story um, related to one of your TED Talks, if not and within all of them, in a way, transmuting pain into power. Yeah. Do you do you want me to just share a little bit more about, about that journey? Yes, please do. Yeah. So as you mentioned in my bio, I was involved in a car accident at the age of nine. My dad was driving. He passed away. I acquired a slew of injuries, including breaking a couple bones in one of my legs and permanently paralyzing one of my arms. And much later, I would end up being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I actually think what exacerbated what ultimately became a PTSD diagnosis was the fact that for 12 years after the car accident, I didn't really tell anyone about it. And I think part of that was influenced by being the daughter of Asian immigrants. In my family's way of thinking, you don't want to share anything that might potentially make your family look bad. And I think we thought maybe the car accident, like a traumatic event, might make people think there was something wrong with our family for something like that to happen, the same way that my dad died, like something was wrong with us, or even me now having an apparent disability. So I wish I could tell you there was some magical light bulb turning on uh, at that 12-year mark. But I think what had happened to me was I looked back at my adolescence from nine until 21 years old after this car accident and really felt like I was being a shell of myself. And I had diminished my own story. I had not told anyone about it. And I decided that what would happen if I did? What would happen if I shared this story? Would other people resonate? So that was 2009. Now we're in 2023 recording this. So it's been a really, I don't know, the word I think of is awe, A-W-E, when I think of the journey that I've been on over the last 14 years. Certainly. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, this 
transmuting shame really into a story that gets to empower not only yourself, but other people through listening to it. How did you get to that place where you were able to have enough curiosity about what would happen versus shame when it came to cohesively sharing your narrative? Mm. So one, one thing I'll share about Diversibility's origin story that a lot of people don't know is I started it in college uh, during my senior year. And from my freshman to junior year, so freshman, sophomore, junior year, I was one of the co-founders of a Taiwanese American club at, on my campus. So when I think about the inspiration behind starting Diversibility, it was really me looking at the fact that I had done this for the Taiwanese American part of my identity. And effectively, I just wanted to do the same exact thing for a different part of my identity. So it wasn't really like, hey, I'm going to become a disability advocate or let me share this story. It was, hey, I found pride and identity and power and community and culture in meeting other Taiwanese people. I wonder if I can find something similar with with my with my disabled peers. So in terms of, I guess, thinking about what was your question? I think your question was around like that, that journey around shame and like deciding. Yeah. So, so what helped you decide to share? And what I'm sensing right now is that a sense of community created safety where you experience a sense of community in the Taiwanese American culture at Georgetown. And then thinking, well, what if I were to seek out or actively create community uh, in the disability space? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, now I'm remembering why I shared that story, but, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that that was what I was choosing to do to share this vulnerable story, but I think I wanted to provide people some context as to why I cared about, about this other aspect of my identity that maybe other people didn't see. But yeah, I mean, it, it really was, I mean, in those early in those early days of diversibility, the logo that we ended up using up until 2021 was created by my little buddy in the Taiwanese club. And he, you know, he just did it because I was his big buddy. Um, and so if I think about like the early support, whether it was 2009, in 2015, we ended up relaunching diversibility, like incorporating as a business. And I was part of another community then that both you and I know each other through called Dreamers and Doers, and was really leaning on those other communities of support that gave me the power and strength to show up, even if I was just a community of one in the beginning in the, in this in this disability space. And you know what's so powerful as well is through the lens of community, really being able to give back to your alma mater. So. I'd like to, it sounds like you started Diversibility, at least the first iteration of it while in college, and then it opened so many doors and it would really serve as a container for a lot of what you have built upon today in a really big way. So yeah, how has your alma mater shaped you and what is it like to give back? Yeah, I think that, so I went to Georgetown and I, it just felt like a playground. A, a playground for for my own growth in the sense that, and I don't know if you know this, but, but up until I went to college, I did not identify as Asian American. I grew up in a predominantly white, very Jewish town, and there weren't really other people to talk about that aspect of my identity. And so to have this 
awakening of sorts in these early years in college in terms of meeting other Taiwanese students. And then, and I actually made a joke. I remember it was during freshman orientation. I had connected with a, a woman who one of her parents is Japanese and the other is Taiwanese. And I said, oh, one of my parents is Taiwanese too. And then I said, we should start a club. And I said that as a joke, but I think that we realized that there wasn't a space for that. And it was really through those early years that I started to really lean into my Asian American identity. And that is what gave me, again, like the motivation to start to explore other aspects of my identity. So all four years at Georgetown, you know, whether it was involved in Taiwanese stuff, I was also in like a lot of women in business and women in finance clubs, and then starting diversibility, like for me, it just felt like a breeding ground for entrepreneurship. And now, you know, 13 years after my graduation, I I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the role that Georgetown played in terms of helping me find my voice in a lot of different ways, in terms of helping me build the confidence and trust in my own story. And also in terms of like, I call myself like an accidental disability advocate, like kickstarting and accelerating my disability journey. Um, and so more recently I ended up, I ended up launching something called the Disability Empowerment Endowed Fund, which is an endowment fund that's going to invest in disability initiatives on the campus. And the coolest part is that since I graduated, so many other disability-related things have happened on the campus that make me so proud. They have like an activist in residence program. They now have a disability studies minor, a whole department. They uh, they just hired the associate director of the Disability Cultural Initiative, who works with student groups. Um, Diversibility no longer exists under that name. Um, there's a new group called the Georgetown Disability Alliance. So. I don't want to say that I planted the seed, but when I was a student, there wasn't really that much support from a disability perspective. And I can't take any credit for any of those things I just named other than the, the endowment fund and me wanting to give back to my university. But I think that even looking back now, I feel really proud of where I went to school and everything that they're trying to do in terms of further disability inclusion on campus, which is a type of systemic change and hopefully it starts on campus and then it goes beyond that, right? And, you know, something that's kind of woven through all that you've shared is this beautiful journey of coming to a realization of, oh, I actually really identify. You know, you mentioned that it started as a joke. Oh, maybe we should start a club. And then it became something bigger. And then getting to a place where maybe you did have, have an awareness of your disability, but you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. don't want to share the story. And then deciding, okay, instead I'm going to be curious. And that really opening doors and amplifying your power and your purpose. And, you know, just for anyone else who, let's say, is listening right now, who it has considered, maybe they are not quite clear on where they fit or, you know, something that they can begin to stand for. You know, it sounds like there was an element of serendipity, uh, but let's say the other elements uh, that kind of helped you allow that to take shape. Is there anything that, that comes up for you when I ask that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about the universe. You called it serendipity. And I'm working on an article right now about when we decided to relaunch diversibility in New York. And one of the questions that the writer had was, where did you find a venue and how did you figure, and how did you like figure out how to make the cost work 
So I was going back in my email and I found an email that said, great meeting you at Rockwood. And for your listeners who are in New York City, there's a, a small venue called Rockwood Music Hall that they have live music, like singer-songwriters perform at. And I went to a concert by myself and I started talking to the other woman sitting next to me at the bar. And she happened to be a community manager at a co-working space in downtown New York City. And she and I told her what I was trying to build. And I think I had to put some dollar amount down. So I think it was like $20, but I'm like, for $20. And she's like, you can book it on a night when we don't have other like startup or community events happening. Like that, talk about serendipity. But I also think by like, putting out into the world what I was hoping to build. And maybe this is the lesson for your listeners by like letting people know this is what I'm trying to do. You know, whether the quote is that the universe will conspire to bring those people into, into your purview. Like, I think because you care about it, it matters. And, you know, you talked about like people not being sure where they fit. And ultimately, that's why I built DiverseAbility, right? I didn't feel like I fit anywhere. And as I talked to more advocates who have built communities, I also realized that they built those because they didn't feel like the other spaces they were in, they fit in. And I had this provocative thought and I haven't I haven't put more thought into it, but I'll say it on this podcast for posterity's sake, is, um, is that maybe the journey is for us to figure out how we can belong to ourselves. We can find belonging in ourselves. And I saw this other quote and it was like, I'm falling in love with who I'm becoming, right? And so we're always changing and evolving and growing and becoming. And with that, I wonder if that comes with belonging and knowing that like we belong to ourselves. And that's the first place we find belonging is like within our bodies, within our stories and then the other people who are meant for us will come will come into those spaces as well. What you're sharing here really illustrates self-love. And what I'm seeing is that it's it's sort of a chicken or the egg experience through uh, my impression of your shares, where it's like with um, really owning your Asian American identity, maybe that was something that you saw others embracing. And it became more lighthearted and fun. And oh, I can I can go ahead and embrace that too. And uh, yeah, and then it sounds like there was a more conscious choice with creating diversity to actively um, really engage in self love to be able to lead by example for this community that you've spearheaded and grown that is only continuing to grow. And you know, when it comes to when it comes to, you know, we talked a little bit about sharing your story more publicly and being a three times TEDx speaker. I'd like to hear from you, uh, again, bringing in elements of community storytelling, what that experience was like. Let's say some people have this impression that once they do a TED talk, maybe everything takes off. Was that your experience? Or let's say someone listening wants to do even one TED talk and they don't know where to start. What would you say? Yeah, I know you and I have talked about you gracing the TEDx stage soon-ish. Yeah. Um, or actually, that was a couple of years ago when we had that I mean, I have invites, but yes, that's that's another another talk. <laughs> yeah, but we um I I have met people whose lives have changed after they've given a TEDx talk. Up until that point in time, I mean, I will say my first TEDx talk was very similar to another talk that I had given. 
And so I was kind of already, I don't know if I would call myself like already on the circuit, but I was already sharing some parts. I was sharing parts of this story, but to have like a TEDx brand on it, I think, I think that's a great place to be able to, to turn to, to say, Hey, like, you know, one thing that I actually had done, I remember I was speaking to some high school students at or some, like I was a it was a summer program at Stanford for some high school students about social entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I did was I actually had them watch the TEDx talk first and then come in with the questions afterward so that we could focus more on how to build your social enterprise or your social business rather than the intricacies of, and my my disability story is traumatic, of my traumatic disability story. So, so yeah, I don't know if I have anything groundbreaking to say i i i personally didn't notice a shift but maybe it's happened slower and over time in ways that i can't see like a to b but i will share one thing that happened recently which was i went to a camp for people who have my injury so the name of my injury is called a brachial plexus injury and they invite families they invite kids and adults who are affected by the injury and they also invite doctors and health and medical professionals so i have this pediatric hand surgeon who approaches me and he goes i watched your ted talk and i go oh and he goes you know because of that talk I've decided to add a mental health psychologist to our care team. So in addition to a pediatric, and pediatric means they work with kids. So in, in addition to the hand surgeon, maybe occupational therapy, physical therapy, everyone on the rehabilitation team, they also added a mental health therapist. And I was like, that is a way that a TEDx talk, and I not anticipate this, but that was one of the ways, and I always love it when these messages come back to me, that the message that you put out into the world can impact ways in, can impact other people in ways you may have never imagined. And, and that felt really amazing to me was that, you know, for me, one of my triggers growing up was interacting with medical professionals. And now here's one who's saying that because of me, he changed something about the way that he was running his practice. What I really see here is a sort of <clears throat> gradual replacement of fear with love. And this whole illustration of being told that your talk that you recorded years ago is still inspiring real change and, and most likely more changes than you'll ever be aware of. But how beautiful to actually have someone share directly in person a, a real change that isn't just something systemic. It is something systemic, but ultimately this is going to help children going to have a better experience, right? Like that are going through something maybe similar to what you went through. So, I mean, this is what it's all about, right? This yeah. I mean, and that's why, I mean, I remember the tagline of TEDx, it's ideas worth spreading, right? So the mm -hmm. idea spread and it impacted someone in, in, in that way. And, you know, we, we have spoken about being on healing journeys and what that looks like, what that means. So yeah, I, whatever you're comfortable sharing about what has been instrumental in your healing journey when it comes to the emotional piece that some people, you know, when it comes to disability, people focus on 
let's say a limb or you know something that that you can visibly see but there are certainly there are emotions that are involved you know at, at every stage so what are some things or awarenesses that you've gained in that process of of honoring uh the trauma healing process yeah that's that's such a good question i mean you talked a lot about how a lot of kind of what i'm i'm reflecting to you is this journey of self love and i will share that when i first started diversibility i think i was operating from an empty cup and so I had to learn that there is a difference between retelling a story versus reliving it. And, and the difference is retelling a story means I can share this without all of the hurt and trauma and emotions attached to it that take me back to that really hard place. And if you're in a place where when you share a story, you feel like you're reliving it, then maybe there's more work to be done and an opportunity to get curious, as you say. So a couple interesting things happened as a result of creating diversibility. I had never called the car accident trauma. I just called it a car accident and trauma was not a word that was used in my vocabulary. Again, daughter of Asian immigrants, like mental health wasn't really a thing growing up, nor did I receive any mental health support until 2017 because I chose to, and that's 20 years after the car accident. So after starting diversibility and after starting to share the story, people started to tell me that it was trauma. And my understanding of trauma is that you go through a healing or recovering process after you go through something traumatic. But because I hadn't used that language, again, I didn't realize that A led to B, right? I was just like, oh, there's this thing that happened, this car accident. So I started you know, and whether the lesson is calling a spade a spade, you know, that I started labeling that car accident as trauma. And it made me realize there might be some psychological aspects of this physical, visible, apparent disability, as you said, that I haven't really healed through. So starting in, I want to say, I guess 2017 was the first time I went to talk therapy. I started to become really interested in terms of what it would look like to run and build diversibility with a fuller a fuller cup. So in those early years, 2009, I feel like me sharing that story, there was some emotional healing relief there. Sometimes all you really need is to feel like you're seen and heard and validated in something that happened to you. And whether that happens in a safe or hopefully it happens in a safe container, whether that's with a therapist or for me, the first time I shared the story of the car accident, I was with, I was with a bunch of other, a bunch of other students in the DC area. And we were all talking about disabilities studies and stuff like that. And so that was the first time, but I hope that it happens in that type of container where you can feel seen and held in whatever ends up showing up when you decide to share. Um, and over the last couple of years, I think I've been more interested in, you know, your podcast is called Holistic Ambition, more interested in learning more about holistic healing. So for me, I think that I grew up thinking that my romantic partner needed to be my best friend, my adventure buddy, my therapist, my, I don't know, my everything. And when I thought about it, I felt like that's really unfair to put on one human being. And so you and I talked about communities a little bit. I talk a lot about having a web of support or a support system. 
And when you talk about a web or you talk about a system, it's more than one. And so I've learned, so in terms of like holistic healing, for me, that's okay. I have my therapist that I see every week or every other week, but I also need to have other supports outside of that. Um, and I, be, I even remember, you know, Stephanie, when you and I, I'm waiting for you to like put boom in the chat, but, um, I, yeah, I just want to, I just want to share, I just want to share this. I want to share a really quick story with you, which is I was having, you know, that you were involved with that I really appreciated. So I, uh, maybe about a year, a year and a half ago, I was having some health issues and it was bringing up a lot of emotions for me. And I had an incredible support system in terms of my therapist that I was meeting with virtually and, um, and a bunch of friends and communities I was a part of, but no one in San Francisco. And I needed like in-person support for part of the treatment process. And I remember going to you and sharing and you were, you were willing to help. Right. And so that was an example where I was so grateful for all of these people throughout the process who were supporting me and how, how my emotions were showing up through this process. But I think having you available and in person to help support me for the, whether it's the logistical side of, of what, what I needed to get, get through this treatment process. I think that was really meaningful, but I thought that that was also a really good example of, I don't think healing is ever finite. We're going to continue to find new things, but I'll go back to my, my thing that I, my message that I was saying earlier about like learning to retell, not relive I think there's, so, I mean, there's so many versions of it where someone will say like, speak from, is it speak from a wound, not a scar? Uh, the opposite. Oh, speak from a scar, not a wound. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny when I like envision, I'm like, what does a scar look like? And what does a wound look like? I'm like, aren't they the same thing? So anyway, so that's why I just said for me, the, what the version that resonates with me is just making sure that I'm doing what I need to take care of myself. And it's okay that that doesn't happen publicly. And then what shows up publicly is sharing the lessons that I've learned and being able to share something traumatic, but what I've learned from it and how I've grown from it. Certainly, and being a public figure and acknowledging that you've done a lot of growth, but there's still more to do, and that it's not like, let's say, once you do a TED Talk, then you have all the answers, even though you can't help people, you know, I want to also commend your vulnerability in asking for help at that point in time when you needed it, right? Because sometimes asking for help can be a difficult step to take if there's uncertainty around other people's willingness to go ahead and help, right? But sometimes putting yourself out there, that's when you're able to strengthen relationships. That's when you're able to, um, you know, get through something with more ease than you would have if you didn't really garner the courage to be able to ask for that support. So yeah. Yeah. And, And it's so hard. But one of the things I'm trying to learn is how can I vocalize my needs or my boundaries without putting too much weight on the response and super hard to do. And I'm still learning, but it's something I come back and continue to remind myself of, which is if I'm operating from a place of integrity and I'm, you know, casting this wide net for who's in San Francisco, who can support me, like if people can't help or this isn't their area of expertise or they don't feel comfortable, that's okay. That's, that's them, you know, and, and I can trust knowing that I put out into the world or put this ask out that I need to support on 
And again, I come back to this idea of like the universe, hopefully what will return back to me is whoever needed, whoever needed or was willing to help support in that time. You know, there's so many nuggets of wisdom and, you know, as we begin to wrap up here, I, I have a few questions that I'm so curious to hear from you in regards to. So one of them is, how do you define ambition? Yeah, ambition to me is dreaming bigger, but also pairing vision with action. Mm. Yeah, and you know, through that vein, if you were to even distill it to one key word, uh, what does holistic ambition mean to you? Or a few words. Yeah, holistic ambition. The phrase that's coming to me right now is, is I love myself. Hmm. You know, coming back to, yeah, that was the, that was the first thing that came to mind. Beautiful. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, sometimes that's intuition. It's not always logical, but you're like, yes. And I can totally see that as well. Um, a, a return to love. And a, re- a friendly reminder to yourself, an affirmation. And, you know, let's say, um, I'm sure so many listeners and viewers are interested in, um, you know, connecting with you, learning more about you and your initiative. So how, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, you can follow me on social media at I'm Tiffany U. That's the letter I, the letter M, followed by my first and last name. Thank you for tuning in to Holistic Ambition. This is Stephanie Toma saying goodbye for now and inviting you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.